beyond gravitational pull. We marvel at the mysterious black holes shown to us this last week and wonder at your creative power. We praise you. You are the God of intricate detail, of overflowing abundance. You are the God of pattern, connection, purpose, rhythm. You raised the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, from death and placed him at your right hand in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule, now and forever. He is in charge of it all and has the final word on everything, including sin and death. Father, thank you that nothing we do or say can alter your fathomless, undeserved love for us. Exhibited on the cross of Calvary, we are sorry for the wrong things we thought, did, and said last week, even this morning. And we quietly ask for your forgiveness now. Thank you. Make and keep us pure within and without. Cause us to put away perversity from our mouth, to keep corrupt talk far from our lips. Break any power that may dominate us, because we are not slaves to sin, but your obedient servants, your beloved sons and daughters. Send us in the right direction for your name's sake. Give us singleness of heart and purpose so we can do the thing this next minute, this next hour brings us faithfully, lovingly, patiently. Through our, through our relationships with each other, continue the good work you have started in us. May the way we love proclaim your name. As Cam and Kay McIntosh celebrate their 65th wedding anniversary, we thank you for their example of shepherd hearts over so many decades in this congregation. Refresh all our seniors and lift up those who are bowed down, especially Lila, Andy and Eleanor, Ward and Laurel, Bill and Joy, Joan Messer. Give to drink from the healing spring of living water those who are sick, Joel, Malcolm, Kate, Irene, Michelle, and Angelica's brother, Ed. Those of us grieving have hope and confidence that the Messiah, Christ himself, has the power to open the graves. While we wait for that day, turn our mourning into gladness. Protect and provide for the Jumar Gull family as we apply to sponsor them, and we thank you for the safe arrival of Molina's parents, Leon and Hura. Help them adjust to their new life in Canada. Lead and strengthen those you have sent out on mission, especially Olivia Remelong in Paraguay and Peru, and Renee Lim in the Philippines, both with YWAM. We commit to you especially our young adults, teenagers, children, and babies. They are growing up in a world shrouded in darkness. Reveal to them that your light is more real than the darkness. Your love is stronger than death. Your authority overrules governments and makes use of earthly power for your eternal purposes. As Darcy speaks to us this morning from your living word, give us a heart to know you. Teach us to walk in the light of your presence. Lord, you establish peace for us. You will proclaim peace to the nations. We pledge allegiance to the Lamb and to the kingdom for which he stands. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. We await your coming soon. In Jesus' name, yes and amen.
Luke 19, verse 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles he had seen. Blessed Blessed is is the the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies would build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the times of God's coming to you. If you are in Kingdom Kids or grades 6, 7, and 8, now is your time. You can go. Well, good morning. Oh, that's great. My name's Darcy, and for those of you who are new here, I'm the youth pastor, and it's a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Usually I'm upstairs with our junior highs, which is quite a time. If you've never been, it's quite an experience. Um, But I'm so happy to be able to be in the service today and to share a little bit about some of the things I've been learning about this passage that the girls read for us this morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Wasn't that so beautiful when the kids came down and waved the, well, palm branches or the colored streamers? That was so beautiful. What a moment. Uh, This is the beginning of a week known as Holy Week. As Jesus followers, we celebrate all of the significance that this week holds in the life of our faith as we lead up to remembering Jesus' death on the cross, and then we celebrate his resurrection. I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning, because we're going to be jumping to a few places in it throughout the next little bit. This morning, I want to talk about choices. Our lives are a series of choices that we make every day. Will we buy that new pair of shoes? Which university or college will we go to? Will we go to university or college? What cereal will we have for breakfast? Will we choose to cheer for the Canucks? Or will we give our allegiance to the Toronto Maple Leafs? (laughs) Oh, man. Come on. Come on. It is playoff season. It has begun. Sorry. I I am a Leafs fan. Just saying. Thank you, Stuart. (laughs) Woo! Uh, Some people might not get this choice, the red pill or the blue pill. I might be dating myself there. Only people my age or older will get that reference. 
Uh, but today we are going to look at a story that you've come to know as the triumphal entry of Jesus. But there is so much more going on in this story underneath the surface. I think this story is about choices. Earlier, we heard from the passage from the girls. We heard from the passage in Luke. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem with his disciples. They've been traveling miles and miles uphill in the heat, in the dry and dusty land. And Jesus has been announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. And now his ministry will finish in Jerusalem, the center of all Jewish life. So every year, the Jews gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. If we jump over to Exodus 3, uh, near the beginning of our Bibles, we will read about the Jewish people, God's people, living as slaves in the land of Egypt. And they cry out to God for deliverance. And the scriptures tell us that God hears their cries. He hears the wails of the suffering and oppressed, and he rescues them. Because we serve a God who rescues. So, here's the scene. Every year in Jerusalem, about 200,000 Jews would gather at a place called the Temple Mount to celebrate their deliverance from Egypt and to commemorate God's faithfulness to them. So we're going to jump ahead slightly in the story, and then we're going to move backwards. Hopefully that's not too confusing. I'll take it slow. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So here we have the chief priests and the elders of the people. These are the heads of the Jewish faith, okay? They are supposed to show the world what God is like. They're the people in charge. And they were supposed to model the way of God. So, these guys decide that Jesus must be killed. So they turn him over to Pilate. Now, here's my first question. Why is Pilate, who is a Roman governor, in Jerusalem in the first place? Let me give you a very brief history lesson. In ancient times, there was a man named Caesar Augustus who ruled the world. Caesar believed that he was the son of God incarnate on the earth. And people would have to utter, Caesar is Lord. You may have heard that before. No other name under him could people be saved. So naturally, Caesar Augustus dies. Because <laughs> he's the son of God, apparently. And Caesar Tiberius was his successor. Now, Tiberius couldn't be everywhere that he'd conquered, so he appointed people, um, leaders, to help him rule, okay? Uh, in Judea, uh, specifically in Jerusalem, Tiberius appointed a Roman to go to Jerusalem and rule in his place. Can you guess who this is? Pilate! That's Pilate. Yes, Pilate was the governor of the land. He was assigned to keep people in order. Now, Pilate lived in a place called Caesarea. Of course, he lived in a big mansion, beautiful, beautiful house. Um, but every year, he knew that 200,000 Jews would come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This could be a great opportunity if you think about it, for him to be overthrown when there's that many Jews together. Things could get out of hand. There could be a riot. They could all band together and say, we're going to take over. So, to avoid this, Pilate would march to Jerusalem every year at the beginning of Passover. So, accompanying him would be a huge, giant parade showing everything the Roman Empire had done. And the parade was designed to exert power and domination and to provoke fear and terror to the people that they 
don't mess with Rome. So just imagine, I, I'm new to Vancouver, so you guys have a Santa Claus parade? Every, every city has a, right? Every city has a Santa Claus parade. So I don't know how big it is, but imagine the Santa Claus parade, okay? And you're standing on the sidelines, but imagine the Santa Claus parade is this group of soldiers designed to scare you and put fear into you that you should not act um, out in any way. So it's like a fierce, now I'm turning the Santa Claus parade into a fearsome thing, but um, you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> so it's like the Santa Claus parade times a bunch, but fierce. Okay, I always, I, I like to imagine things, so go, let's go with the Santa Claus parade, okay? <laughs> um, so another interesting thing is that Pilate would be in this huge parade, and he would ride a horse. Now, in ancient times, a horse symbolized power and strength. I want you to remember that. So, Pilate was coming from Caesarea. That meant that he and his parade would enter Jerusalem from the west side of the city. One scholar writes that Pilate, on his journey from Caesarea to Jerusalem, was most probably accompanied by 1,000 Roman soldiers, including both infantry and horsemen. The entry of Pilate into Jerusalem would have been impressive. So Pilate is coming in with his grand parade from the west, but something is stirring in the east. Let's jump over to Luke 19. Verses 28, if you're following in your Bibles, I'm going to read. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So Jesus is entering the city, and he asks two of his disciples to go get him a donkey that no one has ever ridden on. Significance here, big time. Colts that no one had ever ridden before were put aside for a special purpose, usually indicating a holy and royal purpose. So Jesus is riding on the donkey. As he's riding along, his disciples start praising loudly and declaring, Blessed is the king. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, meaning, translated to, Lord, save now. These people are actually shouting and praising and asking God to drive out the enemy, the enemy army, and restore order so much more going on. So obviously there's some, some Pharisees in the crowd and they're telling Jesus to keep his disciples quiet. Like, shh, keep it down. And Jesus says, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Another brief history lesson. There was an ancient Jewish belief in the first century that a savior or a messiah would come riding on a white donkey and he would raise from the dead all of the good Jewish people that had previously died and then he would lead them to Jerusalem and they would celebrate and prosper and live happily. So there were lots of Jewish people that built tombs on the Mount of Olives because they figured it was closer to Jerusalem. This is true in the present day. I had an opportunity a couple years ago to travel to Jerusalem, and if you go by the Mount of Olives, you'll see there's all these, these stones, these tombstones. Um, in fact, I read one article that they're running out of space. <laughs> so interesting that this belief continues. Interesting fact, because I like interesting facts. Sorry. Um, Everyone in the cemetery is buried with their feet facing the Temple Mount so that they come straight up and don't even have to turn around. <laughs> Interesting, right? Sorry, that, that's kind of besides the point. But Jesus is referring to stones. Hmm. 
and they are passing all these stones. I wonder if Jesus is actually saying something kind of risky and profound here. When he says the stones will cry out, could he basically be saying, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for? A simple statement that could be loaded with implications. Interesting. So, not only this, but Jesus parades through the crowd, and people are laying cloaks, and they're waving palm branches. And in ancient times, you did not spread cloaks on the road, especially in the dusty, stony Middle East for a friend, or even a respected senior member of the family. No, you did this for royalty. Interesting, a king. Let's go back to the donkey for a second. Uh, turn to jump over to Matthew 21, if you're following along, uh, verses 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. So what is Jesus doing when he mounts a donkey's colt and rides down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem? This is actually the only record this, in Matthew 21 in um, the Gospels where Jesus rides rather than walks, even though it was only about two miles. And in that day, um, pilgrims coming to the Passover uh, normally always came by foot. So what does it mean? The answer is that Jesus is deliberately fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10. In the junior high class upstairs that's meeting now, we have just finished a series called Bible Basics, and where we've talked all about the Bible and, and why, how can we believe the Bible is true. And one of the points um, that I talk about with the kids is prophecy is one reason we know the Bible is true. And so here Jesus actually fulfills a prophecy given to us in Zechariah chapter 9, which I'll read. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It's no coincidence that Jesus asks for a donkey. When Pilate rode into Jerusalem, he came riding on a horse, the symbol of warfare and the choice of conquerors. Jesus chose a donkey, a pack animal a lowly beast of burden. He came humbly and bringing peace. The kingdom of God, which Jesus preached, wasn't an earthly political kingdom, and it was not what the people were expecting. So Pilate is entering from the west, proclaiming power and fear and war. And Jesus is entering from the east on a donkey with children and people rejoicing and proclaiming peace. There are two ways to enter a city. And the writer of Jesus' story are contrasting the way of Jesus and the way of Pilate. The way of the west versus the way of the east. The way of Rome or the way of Jesus the way of sacrifice and humility, or the way of destruction and violence. There was a part of the city in Jerusalem called the Upper City. It's the rich part of the city. And you know who lived there? The chief priests, the elite, the Jewish people in cahoots with Pilate. You see, in Jerusalem, at the time of Jesus, 80% of the people living in the city were very poor. They were tradesmen and farmers, 
and they lived from one day to the next, and they paid their taxes, and they tried to follow the law. And then we have their Jewish leaders. Living the high life, getting rich off the money that people are giving to God. I said at the beginning that it was the job of the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the elders, to show the world what God is like, to model the way of truth. But the system had become corrupt. The people had become corrupt. And Jesus comes to answer the cries of the oppressed, to usher in a new and better way to live. He challenges the systems and the powers and principalities of this world, and he says, there's a better way to live. You see, there are two ways to enter a city. Choices. We are faced every day with choices. Some are simple and mundane. What kind of toothpaste will I buy? And then there are choices that have a deeper and more significant impact on who we are and the kind of people we are choosing to be. Do we extend forgiveness when we've been hurt? Do we show love to the person at school who's mean to us? Are we people who are known for how we give or what we keep? Are we about power or are we about humility? Are we people of peace or are we people of violence? Do we celebrate or do we criticize? Do I welcome the neighbor who doesn't live like I think they should? Do I extend a hand to the refugee, to the person who doesn't fit in, to the broken one? Jesus came to offer us another way to live. We can be a part of ushering in the kingdom of God into this world by our everyday choices. I want to read a story for you, one of my favorite stories, about one woman who chose to use what she had in her hands to usher in the kingdom. At 76 years of age, Gertie became concerned about the young people in her church. So she volunteered to help with the high school youth group. What would you like to do, the pastor asked. I don't know, she said. God and I will think of something. Gertie wasn't a speaker. She felt too old to play games, and she didn't want to leave Bible studies or counsel at camp. But she had a camera, so she took pictures of every kid in the youth group, put them on flashcards, and wrote biographical information on the back of each. She memorized the picture and the information on each flashcard, then stood at the door to the youth room every Sunday night. As the students entered, she welcomed each one by name. At the end of the meeting, Gertie stood at the door again, saying goodbye to each person by name and promising to pray. Over the years, the church's young people discovered that Gertie had the Bible almost memorized. So they came to her with the questions and struggles of their young lives. Ten years of youth ministry later, at 86, Gertie suffered three strokes. The prospect of her death distressed all the kids in the youth group. They wanted to help her, to tell her how much she meant to them, but they didn't know how. One afternoon after he'd finished reading Tuesdays with Maury, the youth leader had an idea. Gertie, he told her, I want to do your funeral. I know, she said, I want you to do my funeral too, but I'm not dead yet. <laughs> yes, but I want to do your funeral while you are alive so that you can hear just how much you mean to our youth group and our church. Gertie loved the idea. And the youth group and its leader planned her living funeral. As you might imagine, young men and women packed out the service. Many of them had graduated from college, married, and had children of their own. Ten years' worth of students shared Gertie stories that night. At the end of the evening, a group of high school young people gathered mysteriously at the back of the room. To understand what they are doing, you need to know something about Gertie. 
She may have been 86, but she never lost her youth. No old people's perfume for Gertie. She loved expensive designer perfumes like Estee Lauder's Beautiful, which was her favorite. The young people walked down the aisle, all clumped together in order to hide something. When they arrived up front, they held up a giant expensive bottle of Beautiful, which they broke and poured over Gertie's feet, anointing her in gratitude for all she had done. Like the widow, Gertie had given what she could. And like the widow, with her tiny offering, Gertie's offering will live on long after she's gone. Hmm. Ushering in the kingdom of God with what she has, where she is. Everyday choices make all the difference in the kingdom of God. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you are now invited to belong to it. So as we enter into Holy Week, may we be people who are challenged to live in the reality that Jesus has given us another way to live, that the kingdom of God has been ushered into this world through Jesus' life on earth, his death, and his resurrection. And this, my friends, is good news. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you came to usher in the kingdom of God. I thank you that it's here and now living amongst us. Lord, may we be people who look at our choices and ask, which way do I want to go? Do I want to go the way of Jesus or the way of the world? I pray that you would challenge us to think differently, to look at our own context and circumstances and say, how can I be someone who ushers in the kingdom of God here and now. Thank you that you challenged the powers of this world and that you've made a new way. Lord, as we think this week about all that Easter holds for us, I pray that we would revel in the fact that you gave your life so that we could know you so that we could live another way. And I pray that we wouldn't take that lightly. But this morning we would invite you in to do a new work in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the truth of the resurrection, that it's something to celebrate, that we don't have to stay in the death piece, but that we know there's new life. God, we give this week to you and everything that it holds. Help us to be people of the resurrection. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And in just a minute, I'm going to invite our, our prayer team up. But um, this morning, I don't know where you're at. And maybe you have been living like the kingdom of God isn't here. It hasn't arrived, but it has. And maybe you need a new way. Maybe this morning you came in here jaded, not sure what to think about Easter time or Palm Sunday. And maybe you just need to hear a word from the Lord that says, there's another way. Take my hand. Maybe what you need this morning is the word hope. I believe Jesus offers that. I believe he longs to give us hope for whatever we're going through. The hope of his presence. The hope of a new way. So prayer team, would, would you come? Let's stand together. Let's sing this morning. And I invite you, if you just need a touch from the Lord this morning, if you need to confess something,
you just want to live in a new way, I invite you to come for prayer. If you're uncomfortable with that, pray where you're at. Invite God to do a new work. Invite him to help you to make different choices. Lead us, worship team. can still visualize the image of Jesus coming in. 
maybe there are things that you have to to lay down. Even, well, as Darcy told us, people started putting things down so that he would he would walk over them. He would cross because he's the king. What what things do we need to to lay down at his feet? What things, what choices do we need to? Um, have his input in as we come into Holy Week as we celebrate Easter next week let's think of of what he did for us and what are we willing to do for for him too The Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, his blood poured out for us. The weight of every curse upon him. final breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of God was laid in darkness a battle in the grave the war on death was waged the power of hell forever broken the ground began to shake the stone was wrong away his perfect love could not be overcome now death where is your sting a resurrected king he rendered you defeated 
the Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, 
even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Amen. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Good to worship. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in such joyful worship this morning, Gary. Appreciate it. Really good. Please grab a seat. Uh, we're not quite done singing. Uh, yes, we're all about Jesus in this place, and yes, we want to give him glory and honor, uh, but uh, the, uh, the word was slipped in the prayer, for those of you that were listening, uh, that uh, we're in celebration mode at the moment because Cam and Kay uh, have reached 65 years of marriage. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know Cam and Kay, maybe you're visiting this morning, but uh, uh, somebody asked me this week, uh, so who are the elders at Granville? And, you know, the answer really is it's people like Cam and Kay who have been here, watched over this place, have been loyal, reliable, faithful, uh, and have been just part of this community. And so, uh, so Cam and Kay, thank you. And uh, we celebrate with you. Uh, we heard this morning that you're not dead yet. Uh, there was a story about that. So, but we, we would like to sing as a community to you. So, happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, dear Cam and Kay. Happy anniversary to you. Awesome. Thank you. Very good. Please be sure to greet them afterwards and uh, congratulate them on this milestone, which, is, uh, as I was telling them uh, yesterday, is a milestone that makes many of uh, the rest of us feel like just beginners. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. That's great. Uh, a couple of other things. Darcy, nice job this morning. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah, we are... That was great. Thank you for uh, setting us up for Holy Week. That's fantastic. Uh, a few things just as we bring this service to the close. Uh, so Daryl will be over at the Connect Point, and he's signing up people for the service teams. We're starting a new service team roster. A few people are stepping down. So if you've never done it, this could be a moment. Go and see Daryl. Sign yourselves up. Uh, it's a great way to meet people uh, and greet people. Uh, so uh, sign up for that. That would be great. There will be photos afterwards uh, for the new directory. If you haven't had a family photo taken or an individual uh, photo taken, get it taken, and that will save you effort and pursuit by the office. That will be great. Uh, there is tea and coffee available afterwards. And remember, Easter. So Good Friday, 10 a.m., 6.15, yes! Uh, sunrise service by the beach with baptisms. Pancake breakfast here at 7.30 onwards. And then uh, 10 o'clock for our big service celebration uh, with communion and possibly more baptisms. We're still uh, uh, defining that. But uh, it'll be a great day, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Darcy, send us on our way, please. Pray for us. Yes. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, just, just a reminder, as you're singing, I, I was just thinking again about Gertie's story and that you don't have to be a certain age for God to use you and for you to usher in the kingdom. I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning that no matter where you are, that God longs to know you. So let me just, let me just pray this over you. May you know God's closeness this week. May he fill you anew. May he reach into the places that you are scared to show him. And may he remind you that you are so loved. May you recognize that Jesus has ushered in a new way and that you can make a difference with your simple choices. May we remember what this week leading up to Easter is all about. May that be a new reality for some of us. And may those of us who aren't sure, would you still be close to us? Would you make us aware of your presence? And would you remind us that you came to know us? And that is no small thing. Thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for the sunshine. May we live in the gifts that you've given us as we go from this place. Amen.